Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If this happens to be your first time joining us, we want to get to know you better. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card so we can do just that. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Praise God, praise God. One of the things I am coming to love more and more as the new guy around here is worshiping with you, seeing you worship the Lord, hearing you worship the Lord. Um, So thank you for the opportunity. How how many of you are thankful for the opportunity to worship the Lord together, together as a family? Want to say hello to all of our friends who are watching us online this weekend. Let's give them a big round of applause, big round of applause. And we know there are many reasons why folks watch online, maybe traveling or maybe just not yet comfortable to return. But I just want to let you know, folks, online, it's much better here. It's much better here. We want to see you back as the Spirit of the Lord leads you to come physically back to worship with your church family We can't wait to see you one more time, encouraging our friends to come back physically, yeah. I didn't mean to step on your toes, I just just want to encourage you a little bit. Uh, Before I jump in, just a, a couple prefatory things. How many of you are thankful to have our senior executive pastor, Pastor Travis Ogle back with us? Praise the Lord, the the ship didn't sink while he was gone, but man, so much of the staff and so many of our church family, we are just glad to have you back, brother. You are awesome and a gift to this church body. One more time for Pastor Travis. One last thing and then we'll jump in. Uh, Just because last week I brought you into uh, my life and my eye situation. And um, I I know some of you were praying for my uh, doctor's appointment that I had on Wednesday. And so I've got another picture to show you. Just, no, just just kidding, just kidding. Not another picture. But but I I saw the UFC doctor. He took a look at my eye. And uh, they did the whole test thing. And with my glasses on, I'm actually seeing 30-20 out of my right eye. Like almost 20-20 out of my right eye. God is doing a a miracle. Um, Yeah, yeah, praise God. He saw the picture that I showed all of you that you love so much. And he was like, it is a miracle that you are seeing 30-20 And so God is faithful, he's kind, and so thank you for your prayers. Um, So without any further ado, we are going to jump back in to our verse-by-verse teaching series through the book of James. And you need to know that uh, after today, or I guess including today, there are only, I believe, three more messages in this series. The one I'm going to preach today 
And then we will have two more messages remaining. And so for those of you, how many of you were here when we started this series uh, in the beginning of January? Yeah, 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 yeah. So praise God. Praise God. There's some exciting things coming up as it relates to what we're going to be teaching next. And so I look forward uh, to getting into James 5.12 tonight is my assignment. It's just one verse of scripture following James's encouragement to be patient for the coming of the Lord. He, he starts in, and so if you want to turn to your Bibles to James 5.12, turn to your apps. All of the scriptures are going to be on the screen if you don't have any of those things. But he makes a transition. He begins to land the plane on his letter to first century Christians. And what better way to land the plane on his letter to first century Christians than to introduce this topic by saying these words, but above all, but above all, a transitional statement that is made for Five chapters and 11 verses, I have said a bunch of things to encourage you, first century saints. But above all, as I close, you need to pay attention to this in a way that you maybe didn't pay attention to these other things. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. How many of you have heard this scripture before? Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. So we're gonna teach through this passage tonight and I love, I love uh, what James does here. He's done this previously in this letter but he's really, in many ways, echoing his big brother, Jesus. He is a, a follower of Jesus, a family member of Jesus. And in true younger brother form, he is echoing the words of his older brother. Uh, Jesus himself, you may be familiar with this, says very similar words in his famous sermon on the mountainside. He gives these similar words. So I want to take you into Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Just want to show you a parallel passage. Maybe you're like, ah, I don't know if I take James seriously. You should take James seriously. It's the inspired word of God. But if you're like a Jesus person, like, okay, well, Jesus said these words. And look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, very similar to what James would say later on, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Jesus concludes by saying, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Here's the words of Jesus Christ. Here's the words of his brother James. 
They were spoken to first century Christians, and I believe they are just as pertinent and applicable to us here in the 21st century. And so from this, I, before we jump in to the tension question, which I have every single time, I want to share why talking about what we're talking about today is, in many ways, we're talking about this idea of swearing to God. Swearing to God. And come on, I know it kind of got weird there. But y'all have done it before. <laughs> I, I swear to God I will never. I swear to God I will always. I swear on the Bible. <laughs> we were in teaching team this past week, and as we were talking about through the teaching team, and I can't let you know who, who the mom actually was of one of our teaching team members, but one of the teaching team members talked about his mom at some point saying something to the effect of, hey, do you promise? And the, the child would say, yes, I promise. And then she'd go on to say, do you Christian promise? <laughs> Do you Christian promise as if there's like two layers of truth in the world? There's I swear and there's I swear to God. Or for those of you who are more sanctified, I swear to Bob. I swear to Bob. Does that work when you swear to Bob? I think we've all done this before at some point to another to either prove to God or to ourselves that we're serious. That we mean business. Now... Why is this topic of swearing to God and what James and Jesus have to say about it, why should we care? Why should we care? Why do I hope you lean in, take some notes, and, well, my burden, what breaks my heart around this topic, I've got two this week. Number one, I say it this way, breaking promises to God can make you feel like your relationship with God is broken. We need to address this issue of swearing to God and the implications because if you're a Christian for any length of time, you make promises to God and if you're like most of us, at some point you break those promises and when you break those promises, it actually makes you feel a way. Feel a way about your relationship with God. How do I know this to be true? Because I in my many years of serving the Lord, being a Christian, have broken so many promises I've made to God. Can anyone relate at the beginning of the year? I promise to God, I promise, Lord, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Any of you made that promise to God? Any of you died out at about Leviticus? Come on, somebody, right? At about Leviticus, it's like lights out. I'm not reading the Bible in a year. I've made promises to God that I'm going to give a certain amount of money to the church. And then when I'm just broke and I want what I want as opposed to giving, I break that promise. Anybody ever broke a giving promise to God? Anyone ever promise I'll serve in this ministry? And then it's like not after three weeks and not when they're calling me out of the blue and come on. Maybe more seriously, um, coming up, you know, and I'm, I'm not proud of this, but prior to getting married, my wife Rebecca and I 
had sex outside of the covenant of marriage. Embarrassed by that, grew up in a Christian home, knew that sex was designed to take place between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. We engaged in that, and so many times under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I would swear to her, and I would swear to God, that's never going to happen again. I swear, never going to happen again. I swear. And then it would happen again. And I don't know about you, but when you break promises to God, it erodes in your own mind Something about the health of your relationship with God makes me feel like I bet he don't even take that swearing to him seriously at this point because I've broken my promise. And I don't want to be the pastor that ever just tells you about my sins of old. When I was a wee little child, I messed up. Nah, I mean, just recently, just recently, I... I engaged in some fasting and prayer, and I typed out a page, and I said, I'm going to do it for this long, and I'm going to do this type of fast, and I sent it to some friends and family members, join me, and then like, and then I got hungry. (laughs) And then like, there was just some people, and the food looked good, and I was like, well, maybe I'll take a break every weekend, and then I'll jump back on it. And, and I just got to tell you, man, when I, it was like, okay, Lord, I don't, maybe the fast, now none of the fast worked, and I just, none of the prayers, they're obsolete, and I just like, but it's like, am I broken with you? Because I said, and I typed it out on a document, I put it on my, my wall in my office, like, because that's, when you're serious, you put it on your wall in the office, and. And I'm poking a little fun, but I, I know in a room of this size, there are probably some people who, who, because you've broken some promises to God and broken some promises to others, you feel something. And you wonder, God, have I, have I, overste- have I blown it in such a way? Because that passage says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall under condemnation. Have I gone back on my promises so many times that I'm under condemnation now? What does that mean? I hope you could see why exploring a topic like this and understanding what this verse has to say is important. Someone say amen. Here would be a second burden I have, why I hope you lean into what we're talking about this weekend. Continually swearing to God exposes a lack of faith That is way more dangerous to us than breaking promises to God. I'm going to explain what this means later on, but let me just tell you. More dangerous to our health than breaking the promises to God is actually our swearing to God because it reveals something that we believe to be untrue about our Heavenly Father. We wouldn't swear to God if we believed rightly. And so I'll unpack what that means. And so it's not just about keeping promises to God because that's what we should do. Not keeping promises to God or making promises to God, excuse me, actually reveals something important about the substance of our faith. And so that's why I hope 
you pay attention this weekend. So here's the tension question. The question that I believe the scriptures answer head on. Why is there a problem with swearing to God? What's the big deal? Why would Jesus say, don't do this? Why would James reiterate, don't do this? And here's my outline. Here's where we're going this weekend. What is an oath is the first question I'll ask. What are, why are oaths bad? What makes oaths so bad? So I'm going to do some teaching up here. What is the alternative? I guess I'm going to do some more teaching there with that third question. And come on, I'm going to preach as we talk about the great oath maker, the great oath keeper as we close our time together. How does that sound as an outline for this weekend? Okay. Three people excited. Let's jump into what is an oath. Sometimes you just got to push through regardless of how they feel, okay? So... What is an oath? I want to show you an example of an oath in the scriptures. This is Father Abraham. Abraham of Israelite nation fame. How the whole nation of Israel came from Father Abraham. And at one point he made an oath. Take a look at it. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. It's kind of weird. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth. He said to his servant, you need to swear. Swear by God, swear by heaven. What do you need to swear for? That you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Don't get a wife for my son from someone outside of the Israelite race among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Make sure you get a wife like us. And for me to make sure you do that, put your hand under my thigh and swear to God. That's just what they did. I'm just reading it. Okay. And so what is an oath? John MacArthur explains an oath like this. The Jewish system of swearing oaths had its roots in the Old Testament. In a time when written contracts did not exist, okay, before there was DocuSign, come on somebody, oaths served to bind agreements between people. To take an oath was to three things I want you to ca catch. To attest that what one said was true, to call God to witness to that, and to invoke his punishment if one's word was violated. To attest, to call God to witness it, and then if, if the oath was broken, you're saying God's going to punish you for that. That's John MacArthur's version. I'm a little bit more of a simple guy. I say it this way. A biblical oath was a promise to others or God that involved God. Does that make sense? So that's what we're talking about when we talk about an oath. It's when you make a promise to others or to God that involved God. And we've, we've all done this. And you might even want to think about the last time. When did I like, I said, I swear, on God, on God, I swear, I swear. When's the last time you did that? That's what we're talking about this weekend. Now, the second question, uh, second question here, why are oaths bad? So what's wrong with calling God into your promises to others or to him? What's so wrong about that? Because look what the text says. It says, do not do this. But above all, as we make this transition and close this letter, 
above all, above everything I've said thus far, do not swear. Why is this a problem? And there's actually two. Two problems with oaths that, man, I just learned this this past week. It is like, because it's not necessarily obvious there, right, in the text. But here are the two problems. I'll put it in two categories. There's this historical problem. Something happened historically with oaths. And then there's this motivational problem. Something about the heart behind the oaths that was off. So I'm going to teach through this. Are you guys, if you're okay, Sam, okay. Okay, we'll get to some good stuff, some application, but I got to do some Bible teaching so you can appreciate the good stuff. So now, why was there a historical problem? Let me show you through a commentary of someone who explains what began to happen with these promises that were being made that brought God into it. Let's read this. The problem was, Kent Hughes in his commentary on the book of James says this. The problem was, by New Testament times, traditional biblical teaching had come under amazing abuse. For example, some rabbis had begun to teach that an oath was not binding if it omitted God's name or did not imply it. So they're starting to play around with the words here. If I, if I say I swear to Bob instead of I swear to God, then it doesn't count. The results were disgraceful. There was an underlying epidemic of frivolous swearing. People just swearing, yeah, I swear to God, I swear under heaven, I swear frivolously. He concludes by saying, for instance, this is pretty funny. One rabbi taught if one swore by Jerusalem, one was not bound. So if they said, I swear by Jerusalem, I'm going to go to synagogue every single Sabbath. I swear by Jerusalem, one was not bound. But if one swore toward Jerusalem, it was binding. Evidently, because that in some way implied the divine name. So I swear toward Jerusalem. Did, uh, you had to really pay attention, I guess, because then you would know how serious the oath was. All of this produced a moral schizophrenia. And if we think that was just a problem back then, we're fooling ourselves. How many of you would agree that even in the church of Jesus Christ, there could be a moral schizophrenia? I'm really not lying, but I'm also not telling the truth. We all have this in our lives. I'm really not lying, but I'm really not telling the truth. The youth of oaths was like children's, I had my fingers crossed. It just began a way to play around with the truth. Uh, I want to sum up the historical problem this way, and then I'll get into a, a little bit of an illustration. Oaths provided loopholes for lying. At the end of the day, the historical problem was oaths began to be loopholes for lying. The emphasis became the outs, not the oath. Where do we see this today? And, and I, I just... I know the subject of, of divorce is, is serious. Maybe some of you have, have gone through that, and so I don't want to belittle any of that. Or, but I'm just going to talk about for a moment the idea of a prenuptial agreement. And if you got one, I, there's no condemnation. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, a, I'm not recommending anything. I just, I just want to make a point here. See, when, when you get married, you, you, you make an oath. Till death do us part is the oath. But it would seem like 
A prenuptial agreement would be the modern day example of how we cross our fingers when we make an oath. I don't see how you could simultaneously make an oath till death do us part for richer or poorer, I think is in the general language, and then have a prenuptial agreement. Now I get it. Some of you maybe got deep pockets, right? And so, Ed, if you have my type of money, you would sign a prenup. I'm just saying, can you see the duplicity in how we swear certain things, but it's like how we frame it, how we talk about it. It could be more about, because it seems like to me, man, to get started with a lifelong covenant with an out of what happens to our finances if this doesn't go right undermines the whole covenant. So that's just a modern day illustration, but we could see how this could become our problem as well with these oaths that um, I'm going to make sure I say it a certain way so that I have some outs. And that's what was happening in the New Testament time. That's what James was correcting. Now, here's the motivational problem. That's just a little bit of just history. I would have never known that that's what was going on by just reading the text. Now, here's the bigger problem, I think, and hopefully a paradigm shift that could happen tonight with us. We need to see and ask the question, why do we make oaths in the first place? Like the swear to God type of oath, like, nah, for real, for real. Why do we come up over the top on some of these oaths with this, I swear to God, I swear by heaven, I swear on my mama, whatever it is. Why do we do that? Because the answer to why, I think this is what it reveals. And I love uh, InterVarsity Press. They, they write some great commentaries. And this is what they have to say. It's, it's powerful. Now, it is the lack of faith that must appall James in the act of swearing. Everyone say lack of faith. How does swearing reveal a lack of faith? Let's take a look. It is unbelief that would move his readers to try to save themselves by a manipulative use of oaths. It is through lack of faith that we disbelieve God's compassion and mercy and so want to strike a bargain. Remember last week, we were talking about being patient under suffering, being patient as, um, you know, you're, you're being abused by those who employ you, they're holding back money, was what was going on, and James says, remember the compassion and mercy of God. Can you see how in that day that one might want to manipulate and get out of their suffering by using O's? I promise to God that I'm going to work this amount. I promise to God I'm going to do this. And, and if I can, use my oath-making to manipulate the situation as opposed to trust God to rectify my situation, then I'll use the oath. The commentator goes on to say, striking a bargain with God cuts at the very heart of the gospel. Need you guys to lean in here. Striking an oath with God, saying, I swear to God, I'll never lie again. I swear to God, I'll read the Bible. I swear to God, I'll whatever, fill in the blank. It is an attempt to rely on the worth of one's own offering instead of relying on God's grace in the offering of Christ on the cross. Bargaining is a reliance on works. James is insisting that we rely on grace. 
I say it this way to sum up the motivation. The, the commentary says it so eloquently. Once again, simple guy. I just say it like this. The motivational problem was this. Oaths are ultimately overcompensations for unbelief. We don't believe that if we don't put I swear to God on top of what we're saying, then maybe God won't receive our works. Or maybe we believe so much in our works that we need to swear to God as opposed to just relying on the fact that if I do break a promise, God's grace is there to forgive me of my broken promise. See, if you put your reliance on being right with God, with fulfilling all of your promises, you're going to make a bigger deal on making sure God knows you're serious on your promises instead of resting on a God who forgives us when we break those promises. Are you following me this weekend? And believe me, I just want to let you know... I'm just learning all this this week. Like this is like, oh my gosh. Look at what's in my heart every time I say, I swear to God what that's saying is, God, I need to rest who I am in you on what I do. And so you need to know how serious I am. Um, I'm sweating. Hold on. (laughs) Here's the motivational problem. Here's how I want to just sum it up. I kind of said it this way. When we are more deeply convinced that we are made right with God through Christ's finished work for us and not through our fulfilled promises to God, we'll find no need to swear to God. Do you see what I'm saying now? When we swear to God, we're actually exposing ourselves. We're exposing what we believe to be untrue about God and that that he's forgiven us and can forgive us when we fall short and also that our righteousness with God is not founded on what we do or how we fulfill promises, but on the fact that Jesus fulfilled every promise. Okay, let's keep it moving. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative? So we just don't make promises? (laughs) Because I'm just relying on what God did, so I don't need to make any promises. Well, no, look what the scripture says. Let's go back into it. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that you may not fall under condemnation. I want to address this so that you may not fall under condemnation real quick. Because you might wonder, like, so where am I at? Because a lot of my yeses have become no's and a lot of my no's have become yeses. Am I on the condemnation thing? And, And here's the deal. What James is saying here is that those who are saved, those have the root of salvation should have the fruit of truth. Those who have the root of salvation should have the fruit of honesty and doing what they say and saying what they're going to do. But if you don't have the fruit of honesty, if you don't have the fruit of doing what you're going to say, saying what you're going to do, you might not have the root of salvation and ultimately you will spend an eternity apart from God. So, if you're a believer gathered, watching online, and you perpetually break the promises that you make, you might not be saved. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to say, ask the Lord now, save me, because I want to be someone by the power of the Holy Spirit who could be a man or woman of my word. Okay? So, 
just, just hitting on that fall under condemnation thing, man, it, man, we all break promises. And just to make sure I'm talking to the right people, like, can you just raise your hand if you've broken a promise before God? Okay, I'm amongst friends, right? Now, what sets us apart from this fall under condemnation thing? It's the heart of repentance that says, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me. Okay, now, so what's the alternative? I put it pretty simply, like I said, simple guy. Say what you'll do, do what you say, and repent when you don't. That's it. Say what you'll do, do what you say, repent when you don't. So instead of saying, I swear, God, me and my wife are going to pray together every single night for the rest of our marriage. Just a little insight to some of the promise I've made before God that haven't quite worked out. So how does this look? Honey, let's go at this again. And, and let's, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do it. And then when we don't, because we inevitably won't at some point, Lord, forgive us. Can't we do this? Yeah, 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 yes or no? Yes or yes? You don't want to make a commitment, I guess, here and just totally like, I get it, I get it. Okay, I get it. But this is just so much better than like trying to do too much with this swearing. God. Like, yeah, I'm going to give it. So, okay, I'm going to try to fast for three days and I'm going to, yes, this is my commitment. And then something happens, something happens. But we rely more on the grace of God than the power of our works. Amen? Here's the application as we shut this down. What oath do you need to repent of for breaking or receive grace for breaking? Let's just, let's just land the plane here. What's an oath that you've made to God? Maybe an oath that you've made to your spouse, an oath that you've made to your kids, and you sit here today and you're like, you know what? I've broken that oath. I said I was going to do something. I said I was going to be there, and I lied. And today, you need to receive the forgiveness of Jesus for lying. What yes or no do you need to recommit yourself to? Under the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Just joking around with the folks who are watching online. Maybe under the conviction of the Holy Spirit at one point. You, you said, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to gathering physically. You made an oath before God. Okay, God, when they start meeting back up again, and when I get vaxxed, whatever it might be, I'm going to go back. And then you found yourself getting comfortable, the excuses coming up, whatever it might be. And so some of you maybe need to recommit to the oath you made before God and others that you were going to be back here and join us again. Maybe some of you have made an oath to give. Maybe some of you made an oath to forgive. I swear, like, once just work chills out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that conversation and I'm going to forgive that person and then life has just happened. What oath do you need to recommit yourself to? Now, I could end the message right there. And many times, not here at Hope Church, of course, but many times in preaching environments where it's more works-based than grace-based, the main feeling that is communicated in a message like this is go home and do better. Stop breaking oaths. God is not satisfied with that. 
And I am just so thankful that Hope Church is a gospel-centered church. Hope Church is a church that prioritizes the finished work of Jesus Christ in every single message that we preach. And so here's the final part of my outline, the great oath maker and keeper. I want to bring you to a verse in 2 Corinthians. It says this. This is so beautiful. Put your notebooks down. Let's turn our eyes to Jesus as we close our time together. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Let me give you some context real quick. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he was supposed to go visit them. But he delayed, and he went somewhere else. And so there's like some, the, the, the people of Corinth are sensing some duplicity in his speech. It's exactly what we're talking about. And so he says, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus is uh, Silas, by the way, of Paul and Silas fame. I learned that this week too. Um, and I was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who's him? It's the person of Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. As we close our time together, I don't want us to focus our attention on what we're supposed to do as we leave this place. Do you realize you never come to a place of worship when you're focused on you? But I want to draw our attention to our almighty God who since the beginning of time has never broke a promise. He's never broke a promise. And what this passage says is all of the promises of God find their yes in him. The way I say it is Jesus is the evidence that God can and never has and never will lie. Jesus is the evidence of the honesty of God. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you three oaths that God Almighty has made over time. Three oaths that God made and has fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Oath number one, found in Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Through the prophet Isaiah, God promised that he would be the one to forgive sins. And in the person of Jesus Christ, on that cross, with his blood, he became the propitiation, the substitute, the one who absorbed the wrath of God so that our sin of breaking promises could be forgiven. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophet, Isaiah, to the nation of Israel. What's another Prophecy, another promise that was made also in the book of Isaiah. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, hint, hint, Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. 
hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus would ever die on the cross, God made a promise to his people through Isaiah that not only would they be forgiven, but that they would be made righteous. And we also read in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin, Jesus who knew no sin, became sin. Why? So that we could have the righteousness of God. So you aren't only forgiven for your broken promises in Christ, you are also seen by God as one who never breaks a promise. How many of you are thankful for gift righteousness? Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. Last one, we gotta close this up. Through the prophet Ezekiel to the Israelite nation, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What was the promise? The Holy Spirit of God is coming. How was Jesus the fulfillment of that promise? Remember, he comes onto the scene and he says, it's better for me to go. Why? So that the advocate can come in, the counselor. And so not only, let me summarize this, in Christ not only are we forgiven, but we are righteous. And finally through the power of the Holy Spirit, come on, come on. We are empowered now to keep our promises. Through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have yeses that are yeses and noes that are knows how many of you are thankful for what God did for us for God's promises fulfilled in Jesus would you bow your heads let's pray and prepare our hearts to worship God because he's worthy heavenly father in Jesus name we thank you for being the great promise keeper for thousands of years God you have kept the promises that you have made to your people. Thank you for the person of Jesus Christ, your one and only son, who gave his life so that we could experience your fulfilled promises in our lifetime. And thank you for the Holy Spirit because through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now, by your grace, not only keep our promises, but when we do break them, we could be forgiven. And so, Lord, we, we want to worship you now. We want to leave here more in awe of the great promise keeper, the great oath maker. We want to remind ourselves in this moment that our faith is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and not on the faulty bedrock of our own promises. We worship you, Lord, in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for listening to the Hope Church LV podcast. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.